I'd attempt that. Um, all week long, I would try to sit down and study and ask God to help me, you know, uh, how should we approach some story that's been read, Luke chapter 2, by the way, if you want to go there, and spoken of in churches for thousands of years, um, and um, kind of felt like I was struggling a little bit, and um, finally I just, you know, I asked God, I said, you know what, whatever it takes for us this morning to glorify the Son, that's, that's what I want us to do, and um, I saw something, um, you know, a, a couple of things came, came to mind about this birth of the Savior, this promised Messiah. For thousands of years, he'd been prophesied about um, Isaiah and, and Micah and Amos and on and on and on and on, telling us that, that uh, Emmanuel was going to come and, and uh, God, would, you know, God with us, God's going to dwell with us, God's going to send a son, there's going to be a miraculous birth. It's going to happen in Bethlehem in the city of David, uh, which is the house of bread, and, and how God just fulfilled prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, and um, how much we at least uh, attempt to show our reverence for the birth of the Messiah, for the coming Son. And usually I come back around to uh, my children and my grandchildren when they were born. Um, can't really think of a more special time. Can you? Um, and then, but there is something more special. Uh, there's no way to describe how much I love my children. No way to describe how much I love my grandchildren. But there's something more special, and that's when they learn to love you back. Right? Well, this Christ, this Messiah, did not have to learn to love me back. Um, he being promised, uh, he being the anointed one in Hebrew, Christ in the Greek, this Messiah, uh, anointed one of God, came here with a mission, set apart with a purpose, and even his name, um, which is the Greek for Yehoshua, and it was shortened to Joshua, uh, but Yehoshua means God or Yahweh saves. So just the name of Jesus uh, tells us his mission, and that is to seek and to save that which is lost. Luke 19.10. Um, let's read Luke chapter 2, verse 20 verses. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was still governing Syria. And so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds 
living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, with the angel a great multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Now, um, first of all, I, I mean, realizing that we've read the story many, many times, hundreds if not thousands of times uh, in our own life, um, and it, it can get a little bit old, if you will. You know, we just get, we get so used to hearing the truth of the Messiah and the truth of the Son and the truth of His sacrifice and the focus, uh, the very intent focus and love that He had for us to come and do what He did as eternal God, who, who Christ is. Um, and then this week, I would notice, um, you know, people decorating. We, um, uh, in our society, we really kind of go all out trying to decorate for Christmas, right? You know, we got the, we've got the tree and we've got the nativity scene, and you know, you know all the things, the traditions and the practices, and et cetera, et cetera, um, and the angels and the elves and the stars and the Santa Claus and, and the gifts and the dinners and which we're not through with yet, by the way, in my family. Is it, has everybody got all their dinners over with? Probably not, right? Um, but, and then sometimes it's kind of amazing to me. Um, you, uh, you see a, a Santa Claus knelt at the stable, knelt at the manger, you know, in somebody's yard scene. I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure Santa wasn't there. Uh, but Which is fine, I mean, but. You know, you could get the wrong impression about that. I don't think St. Nick was there that day. But um, but also you see wise men, and the wise men did come and see the sun. But we need to be really careful about how we develop our theology about the birth of Christ. Because the wise men weren't in the stable or the cave at the manger scene, which is the feed trough that Christ was laid in. Um most would agree that Christ was a few months old, possibly possibly a year. Um, but when the king attempted to kill all the male children in Bethlehem, he chose everyone under two. Right? Uh, but these wise men or these kings did come, and they did 
bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and uh, they were there. But then sometimes, I mean, we even get to the point of saying, well, we know there were three wise men, right? Do we know that? No, we don't know how many wise men came, how many magi came. These men who became, um, you know, they were from Persia. They were the spiritual leaders of Persia, if you will. Um, we don't know for sure. We just know they brought three gifts. So we just deduced that there was three wise men. So, um, but there were magi from the East show. These magi or, or kings or priests, if you will, um, were told by the king, hey, you know, I need to know where he is. And God spoke to them and said, you need to go home a different way. But we, we get into some of these traditions and we accept it as fact. Do we? I mean, it's, we have to be careful about that. So they did come. But this baby Jesus in a manger on the first Christmas, uh, that Jesus, that baby was bigger than the manger. He was bigger than the town. He was bigger than the region. He was bigger than all of the world because he is creator. He's a very special child. And he left a perfect home with his father to come and to do that one thing, to seek and to save that which was lost. And yes, we love him, and yes, we thank him, and yes, we praise him for his job. But in our society, we have gotten to the point, in my opinion, that that uh, we have allowed the common thought to be that, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play church a little bit, and I'm going to show up once in a while for church attendance, if you will, uh, but I'm not really going to give my life to Christ until I get through, quote, unquote, having fun. Um, till I get good enough for Jesus. If... if, if um, if we have to wait to be good enough for Jesus, we're not ever going to make it into the kingdom. N not ever going to make it. No one is good enough. No one is good enough to even speak for Christ, but he empowers us to speak for him. And oftentimes we fail him in that regard, but he really is the reason for this celebration season. He... He really is the hope that we have for a future. Uh, you know, we can talk about negative things in life. We can talk about all the bad things going on in the world. We have hope. It's called blessed hope. Israel went through a lot of bad things, didn't they? But they had hope in the King, in the Messiah. We have that same hope. So, during this time, as we read Luke, uh, Luke chapter 2, you know, the reign of Caesar Augustus was a kind of a period of relative peace. There was a pretty, pretty uh, widespread road system, if you will. And it was the perfect time for the birth of the Christ, where the gospel could spread around the known world, which was the Roman Empire. Um, and, you know, God has done this over time, but Luke even depicts the fact that Augustus, who thought he was a god, who expected to be served as a god, who said that his word was the gospel, as God's word is, was used by Almighty God 
to bring about the birth of the Messiah in Bethlehem that was prophesied thousands of years prior. So this king, this emperor who thought he was God, who expected to be worshipped as God, was actually used by the true God to bring about fulfillment of prophecy. Um, Every Jew, according to Caesar Augustus, was called to go register in his hometown, if you will, or his native city. Um, Let's look at verse 4 and 5, just for a second. Chapter 2. Joseph went up from Galilee to the city of Nazareth, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So, you know, little did Caesar know that he was he's being used by God to do this. But because of Caesar, they were in Bethlehem. And sometimes we forget it. That sounds real simple, but traveling was a lot better. There were some roads, but as the crow flies, this nine-month pregnant Mary traveled, well, it was 65 or 70 miles as the crow flies. There's a lot of mountains. They didn't go straight there. So most scholars say they traveled 85 miles to go register. And, and it wasn't a four-door SUV, right? So they made a great commitment to follow through with the order of Caesar Augustus. Um, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So when Micah talks about the birth of Christ, he says, Hey, he's, he's going to come here. He's going to be born in the city of David, the house of bread called Bethlehem. And he is going to be ruler in Israel. And his goings forth are from everlasting, meaning he is eternal, meaning he has always existed. He is very God. Um, Let me read you something from Matthew chapter 2 as it relates to that. Matthew 2, I'll just read two verses, verse 4 and 5. This is talking about the wise men coming from the east later. And when he, King Herod, had gathered all the chief priests and scribes and people together and inquired of them where the Christ was to be born, they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And then he quotes what was written by the prophet. So all the Jewish leadership believed that the Messiah was going to be born where? Bethlehem. All the religious Jews knew that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. They knew it beforehand because they believed Scripture to be true. And when when Herod asked them what was going to happen, they said, oh, it's been prophesied. That's where you can find this baby, this king of the Jews, this ruler in Israel, if you will. And so um, they made it clear. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17 tells us that Bethlehem is the city of David, so it had to be that town, Bethlehem. And then in Luke chapter 1, verse 32, He will be great, and He will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David. So once again, He says it's going to be of the lineage of David. Luke chapter 1, 32 tells us that again. 
And then 2 Samuel chapter 7 says this, Nathan speaking to David, King David, your household and your kingdom shall be established forever. Your throne shall be established forever. So even when God was speaking through Nathan to King David, he was, he was explaining that the Christ was going to be born, that it would be an eternal kingdom, that it, that it would always be through that lineage. So how did the Jews miss it? I've often wondered. It, the same way non-Jews miss it, right? The Jews who did not believe in Christ miss it the same way the rest of us miss it when we haven't given our life to Christ. And that is our focus is on who we think God should be. Our focus is on who we think Jesus should be. Our image of who he should be. Like I said before, we, we get this idea in our society that, well, you know, I really, you know, I do believe in God, but I really don't want to commit to him yet because I'm not good enough yet. And we can't wait to be good enough. We cannot wait to be good enough. So he, Micah 5, 2 says, he's the one, the ruler in Israel. And that word ruler means he's sovereign, he's king, he's uh, emperor, he's master, potentate, if you will. He's number one. And he's from everlasting, obviously meaning he's eternal. But, um, you know, the New Testament teaches real clearly um, that Christ is eternal and therefore God. And there are some uh, twisted uh, teachings and beliefs out there that would say otherwise. And I'm not going to go to John chapter 1 uh, right now, but John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, tells us that Jesus, who, who in, in John chapter 1 is called the Word, He not only was with God, but He is God, and that He's Creator. And John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And he became flesh and dwelt among us. So when John writes his gospel, he's saying, Jesus is definitely a man, but Jesus is God. He's 100% of this one and 100% of this one. There's no mixture of the two. And a lot of negative theology has been thrown out there throughout the last couple thousand years about the identity of the Christ. And why is that? The same reason that some of us miss being saved by the Messiah because he's, he's not the one we're looking for is the reason we miss that fact as well, that Jesus really is both God and man. Um, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, John 17, verse 5, he says, he's praying to his Father. He says, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory with which I had with you before the world was. So Christ says, God, I want to be with you again with this same Shekinah glory that I used to have. Now, you know, we don't think about it that often, but, you know, he was talking about um, the glory of the Lord shone around the angel when he presented, when they presented himself to the shepherds in the field at night. Can you imagine that image, by the way? You're out with your sheep. Stars are out, clear, cold night. And all of a sudden, an angel is there, and then God's light shines around him. It said, the scripture says they were very afraid. 
Um, I don't know about those shepherds, but this one would have been scared to death. Right? And, and he's talking about the Shekinah glory of God. And probably the most impressive miracle about the birth of the Christ is how he managed to mask that brightness, mask that glory that man can't look upon. And so when we read a story about the birth of Christ, you know, we love babies and we, we love the thought of, of the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. We love celebrating Christmas. But do we really think what really happened that day? Do we really know what a miracle it was for God to mask that glory to be a man? Now, God can do anything. But that was a tremendous feat. There's, some, there's a few things God can't do. He can't lie, okay? But God can do any moral thing, okay? So, but it's, it's quite a feat. And one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, talking about this baby, is Philippians 2.6. Being in the form of God, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What that mean? He, he, he claimed to be God. Colossians 1.17, He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. That's that baby in a manger. And, and one more, Revelation 1.17, He speaks of in Revelation to John, Do not be afraid. I am the first, and I am the last. So when Jesus said that, He was saying, I am eternal God. And the thing is, society tends to push their beliefs off on us without us realizing it, that Jesus can't be both God and man. You know, that he can't be 100% man and 100% God. That, that there's something missing there. Why? Because I don't understand it. I, I can't comprehend Jesus being 100% man and 100% God. Anybody here have that ability to comprehend that? I And we, we as Westerners, even though we don't think we, that, that we have that mindset, we think that if we can't understand it, if we can't comprehend it, therefore it's probably not true. You know, that kind of creeps in. Right? Do, do we do that without considering, without just saying it out loud, I'm pretty smart and I don't understand it so it can't be true. Um, let's look at verse 6 and 7. I have to hurry, I understand. Okay? Verse 6 and 7. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Now, real quickly, the inn, um, it, it could have been a motel-type sitting, but probably not. Probably, you know, most homes in the day in that region would have the living quarters for the family and then one end of the home would be kind of guest quarters, and then the other end of the home would be sort of a stable area where they kept transportation, right? But, and farm animals and whatever. Not for sure. All, what is really clear is there was no place for Jesus to be born. He was born where the animals are because they laid him in a manger. Um, it may have just been a rock hewn out to put feed in for the sheep and goats you know it 
uh, wasn't a glorious place for Christ to be born. But the time was absolutely perfect. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. And then He tells us why, verse 5, Galatians 4, 5. To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So when we celebrate Christ, when we put up our trees, and we put up all our beautiful decorations, and we put Santa Claus at the manger if you want to, it doesn't bother me. I'm just saying, he wasn't there. But when we do all those things, uh, why did he come? Galatians 4, 5, that we might receive adoptions as sons. And you know what Paul goes on to say about that? We're not just adoptions as sons. We are joint heirs with that baby. We are joint heirs with Christ. And so what Christ did for us, not only did he come, but then he suffered greatly. We find out from Isaiah that his visage was marred more than any man. You know what that means? He was beaten beyond recognition before they killed him. He intentionally masked his Shekinah glory, came and preached and taught the truth of God and gave his life a ransom for many. And 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4 say, I delivered to you first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's why he came. And so we don't need to wait until we're good enough for Christ to save us. We don't need to wait until we're through enjoying life. You can't enjoy life until you are in his family. We don't need to wait. What we have to do, according to Paul in Romans chapter 10, is believe in our heart and confess with our mouth and you will be saved. That's pretty tough, isn't it? So you know what the greatest day in my life is when I see my children and my grandchildren fall on their face before God and cry out that I'm a sinner and I need saved. And that should be your number one goal in life. Not only to share the Christmas story, but the need for repentance and commitment. Because we don't make a decision for Christ, we make a commitment to a Savior. There's, no, there's a big difference between a decision and a commitment. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, before we leave, if anybody needs to make a commitment to my Savior, to please come. Y'all want to play something? Okay. If you want to make a commitment, the reason we're here this morning, if you're in the youth, if you're in children's church, we have our youth pastor and our children's pastor here this morning. It doesn't matter if you're how young or how old. If you understand you need salvation, he's offering it this morning.